the first reading can be found um, in John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8, and that's on page 1083. That's John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The second reading is taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25, and that can be found on page 1172. That's Galatians 5, starting at verse 16 on page 1172. So I say... Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, bear fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to the Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, India. Shall we begin with a prayer? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to enlighten that word to our hearts. And thank you for the gift of your spirit to change our lives. And we pray that we'd be open to you as we look at these verses now together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, <clears throat> It's great, um, we ought just to acknowledge that church growth is happening whilst we speak. Um, 
and it's lovely. I think this is the first evening service that Julia Brown has attended. And uh, so a very special welcome to Julia. And if you hear little squawks off, that's what that is. But uh, Dominelli, many congratulations. It's uh, terrific. We're thrilled for you. And also, as Charles was alluding uh, to the fact, I'm not sure everyone will have heard that um, Benjamin Axelson put in an appearance um, earlier on this week. And uh, so um, that's why Guy's away on paternity leave. Um, so lovely to have all these babies uh, adding to our number almost daily. <laughs> <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're thinking about uh, the Christian being someone who has a new character. Now, London is not the best place to live if you're a keen gardener. I imagine most of us will live in flats or uh, small houses with tiny gardens, maybe if you're lucky, a a little tiny patch of green, perhaps more likely um, just a yard. Uh, Or if you're Charles, it's it's a window box. And Charles was telling me that he's the only person in Chester Square who actually tends his own window box. Everyone else gets in some top-quality gardener because it really is too much to do your own window box. But uh, the reality is that most of us will, frankly, do very little gardening whilst we're living in, in London. I mean, hands up here, anyone who's done any gardening in London this year Okay, oh, more than I thought. Okay, about five, six people. Most of us don't do gardening in London. But I think most of us will understand the, the simple principles of, of gardening. And we need to ha- catch one or two of those as we look at the fruit of the Spirit this evening. But um, wherever Lucy and I have lived, we have planted trees. And move, our move to London was no exception. Uh, even though we just have a small backyard. And when we arrived in London five years ago, we bought uh, an apple tree. I have to say that it looked a little bit more like a twig. It really was very small, um, but it did say apple on the label, and I wanted to check because it really did look just like a twig, and the the guy in the garden centre said, yeah, it is an apple tree. So we planted it, and come the spring a little bit of blossom appeared. And sure enough, it was apple blossom. Leaves appeared. They were apple leaves, but no fruit. The second year, the same thing happened. Uh, The third year, we had half a dozen little apples, which all fell off the tree before they could ripen. But then last year, we had about 20 delicious shiny red apples our twig really is an apple tree. And from very unpromising beginnings, it has started to produce fruit. Just a little picture of how it is for the Christian. And I want to emphasize as we think about the Christian bearing the fruit of the Spirit, that it won't happen just like that overnight. We won't suddenly be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, just like that. However, once we put our trust in Christ, it is as if the tree is being planted. And we're going to look at how fruit 
might well appear. Fruit fruit will appear. So we're looking at uh, Galatians 5, and you might find it helpful to have 11.72 open in front of you. And indeed, um, the outline is on the back of this pink sheet, if you want to see where we're going. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus warns his disciples against false prophets, and he says to them, by their fruit you will recognize them. And just as the ultimate test of an apple tree is that it bears apples, so the ultimate test of the Christian is that they will bear fruit befitting the name of Christ. The ultimate test of the Christian is not how long we've been going to church or whether we teach in the children's church or whether we've got ourselves ordained or how many services we attend. The ultimate test of the Christian is what sort of people we are, how we live our lives, how we behave. A couple of weeks ago, as we were going through the book of Titus, Titus, uh, Paul mentioned uh, that slaves were not to steal, but to show that they can be fully trusted. And here's the key thing, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Christians are called to be attractive advertisements for Christ. And I think it's probably true for, for many of us. Before we put our trust in Christ, we might have gone on some course, We might have been persuaded by some of the intellectual arguments for the faith, and that's all very important. But I should think for many of us, one of the main things that attracted us to Christianity was the lives of Christians, showing something of the fruit of the Spirit. They may not have been perfect, but they were different. And this is what Paul is saying uh, repeatedly, He said it in Titus, he says it here in Galatians, he says it regularly throughout the New Testament. And we ought to stress that both Galatians and Titus are are very clear that we are only put right with God through faith in Jesus and his death on the cross for us. But both books are also very clear that that belief should be seen in changed behaviour. Again, Jesus said, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree bear good fruit. And here in Galatians, Paul has spent much of the book emphasizing that we are only put right with God through faith in Jesus. Just turn back with me to chapter 2, verse 16. He mentions this repeatedly. In fact, he mentions this three times in one verse. He says, a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. (laughs) Isn't it great? He makes that point three times in one verse. We are only put right with God through faith in Jesus and his death on the cross for us. But in spite of this strong emphasis on not earning our own salvation, Paul now turns and says, if that is what you believe, 
then this is how you should behave. We saw in last week, last week in chapter 5, verse 13, uh, Paul saying, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. There's perhaps a temptation in all of us to think, hooray, I've been forgiven. I've been put right with God by faith. I can do what I like, and he'll still forgive me. Uh-uh. He says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Just as apples prove a tree to be an apple tree, so the fruit of the Spirit is the ultimate evidence that someone has put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want us this evening to notice various things about the fruit of the Spirit, what it is, how it's cultivated, when we can expect to see it, and so on. So the first point on our pink sheet is that some sort of fruit is inevitable. Now, this is true, whether we call ourselves a Christian or whether you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, our behavior shows what we're like. And here is a fundamental gardening principle, that even those of you who haven't even attended to a window box this year, who haven't done any gardening at all, who kill pot plants like they're going out of fashion, uh, this is a really simple principle. Look across the page to chapter 6, verse 7. A man reaps what he sows. Now, before I got married, I lived in a house in Cambridge for a year with four PhD students. They were all terribly brainy, um, slightly otherworldly, and um, one of them, trying to sort of have a little break from his studies, decided he was going to till the garden. We actually had a garden. And he spent an afternoon digging the veg patch, weeding it, sieving the soil, then planting some carrot seeds. And then he put a net over the seeds and uh, went off to work the next day. Now, it might surprise you to know this, but when I was younger, I used to enjoy playing practical jokes on people. I've grown up now. But I went out and I bought six cauliflowers. And I, over, overnight, I placed these cauliflowers right where he'd sown his carrot seeds. And when Andrew, one of the PhD students, came back from his lab the next afternoon, I said, Andrew, look, look what's happened to your carrot seeds. And it didn't last very long. It was probably about five seconds, but they were, it were, they were five beautiful seconds as Andrew's face his jaw fell. He said, no, I don't believe it. And they said, uh-uh, <laughs> you're up to your tricks again. But even someone like Andrew, who's, you know, my life is spent thinking about, well, physics. Um, even Andrew knew that you reap what you sow. So let me ask you, in your Christian life, how are you sowing? Chapter 5, verses 16 to 17, shows something of the inner conflict that every Christian faces. Paul says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict 
with one another. It's rather like that cartoon character where you have a mini angel whispering in one ear and a mini devil whispering in the other ear. And the question is, who do I listen to? Do we live by the Spirit, verse 16, seeking to please the Lord Jesus in our lives? Or do we gratify the desires of the flesh, seeking to please ourselves? Well, who we please depends on who we listen to. If we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to feed us, we will produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so on. If we spend time with God each day, it's rather like miracle grow. We will slowly but surely produce fruit. That's why we're pushing Bible reading, not just for June, but forever. That's how we're fed. That's how God speaks to us. That's why we encourage people to come to church and to join a home group. Because that's how we get fed. It all depends on who we listen to. Because if we ignore the words of Jesus, or we just make it a low priority, and we fill our ears and eyes with other things. I don't know about you, I, I, I spend quite a bit of time reading newspapers or the BBC News website or other articles elsewhere, books. I'd be interested to know how much time I spend reading scripture compared to all these other things and what influence that's having on my, my heart. But we certainly need to be feeding the heart, don't we? You reap what you sow. We produce fruit according to how we sow and who we listen to. So some sort of fruit is inevitable. Perhaps it's good to ask ourselves, how are we sowing? Secondly, the fruit of the Spirit is countercultural. And in these verses, as I've already mentioned, Paul, he's speaking rather like the ARP warden in Dad's Army. I, I realize that I'm a kind of, this may not be your thing, but there's this guy called the ARP warden who uh, keeps t telling everyone else to you know, put that light out. Don't you know that there's a war on? That's his great catchphrase. Don't you know that there's a war on? Except for us, it's a spiritual war. And the battle rages within. And the battle is, verse 16, between flesh and spirit. Flesh, how we live and act naturally, left to our own devices. And the spirit, God's Holy Spirit, who works in us as we open up our lives to him. And the acts of the flesh are listed in verses 19 to 21. And they don't make for pretty reading, do they? But Paul is saying this is how it is with us, naturally, without the impact of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then we come to verse 22, and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and so on. And what he's saying is that what the Spirit produces in our lives is totally distinct from how we would act naturally. 
without the Spirit in our lives. To be a Christian is to be utterly countercultural. Just look at those two paragraphs, 19 to 21, and contrast them with 22 and 23. What a stunning contrast. And at the end of verse 23, at the end of that lovely list of Christian virtues, he says, against such things there is no law. In other words, there's no law that says you shouldn't be loving to other people. There's no law that says you mustn't be patient with your really annoying boss. There's no no law that says you mustn't be faithful to your wife. There's no law that says you mustn't be kind to your friend who's going through a hard time. When we see these behaviours, we love them. And that's part of the attractive advertisement that is the beautiful Christian life. But they stand out, don't they? Because they're so different from how we behave without Christ. Do you remember that old saying you sometimes hear? You might be the only Bible that someone else reads. And perhaps you have a friend, someone at work maybe, or a friend you know socially, who doesn't go to church, who would never think of opening their Bible, not particularly interested in the Christian faith, but they know you, and you're a good friend, and they see you, and they like you. And they're seeing something of the work of the Spirit in your life. And you might be the only Bible they ever read. The fruit of the Spirit is countercultural. Third, the fruit of the Spirit is comprehensive. That is to say, these lovely qualities cover every area of life, every relationship. Now, one of the great lies of the devil is that holiness is unattractive. Rather like the disapproving great aunt, the kind of lady who pitches up at the house every couple of years when we were children and, you know, you have to behave. You have to give her a kiss as well. It's pretty horrible. And she doesn't smoke and she doesn't drink and she doesn't gamble and she doesn't laugh and she doesn't smile. She doesn't have fun. And she criticizes everything we do and children should be seen and not heard. And her favorite Bible verse is, thou shalt not. Well, if we think that's what holiness is like, we're utterly wrong. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They reveal true holiness. And they're attractive. You can't not like these fruit, this fruit, can you? Against such things there is no law. Now, we must make the important distinction here between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Because we read repeatedly in the New Testament that the gifts of the Spirit are are many and various and that all of us have some gifts but none of us have all the gifts and that is why we belong to the church because between us, rather like the body, we combine our gifts for the common good. That's why Paul uses examples like a body or a building where we're all different bricks and so on. 
However, the fruit of the Spirit is for all Christians. All the fruit listed here is for every Christian. I think sometimes people think the fruit of the Spirit is a little bit like a basket of fruit. Kind of take your pick, please help yourself. Which fruit would you like? Well, I thank you, a bit of joy would be nice, especially as it's Monday morning tomorrow. A bit of gentleness, especially if other people are showing gentleness. Would you like a bit of gentleness? That would be great, (laughs) especially if you're being gentle towards me. But certainly no thanks to um, self-control, and frankly, kindness is out too. I mean, you know, my ancestry, we're a fiery family. You know, I don't suffer fools gladly. No thanks to self-control. That's not how it is. And the point of this picture is that the fruit of the Spirit is not like the basket. It's more like the orange. Did you notice it's fruit and not fruits? So we're all meant to have all the fruit, and each different quality is rather like a segment of an orange. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is a comprehensive collection. We should all be producing all these fruit. Fourth, the the fruit of the Holy Spirit is essentially being Christ-like. We had that first reading from John chapter 15, where Jesus talks about how he is the vine and we are the branches. And in verse 4, he says, No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. If our lives have been grafted into Jesus, we will bear fruit, he says. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Fruit worthy of the Jesus tree. And this fruit... When you think about it, perfectly describes Jesus, doesn't it? Think of love. Jesus, who not only said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, but as he was being crucified, prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Or think of peace. Jesus, who on the night before he was murdered, calmly taught his disciples and said, my peace I give to you, and demonstrated that peace as he was led off to the cross. Or patience. Think how slow the disciples were to learn. How frustrating that must have been for Jesus. I mean, no greater teacher. And the disciples repeatedly just don't get it. And yet Jesus patiently persevered with them, and with what great results in the end. Or gentleness. Think how gentle Jesus was with that widow whose son had died. Or with the disciples as they squabbled about which one of them was the greatest. Or his self-control seen supremely in the way that Jesus, knowing that he was going to be killed, still set his face on going to Jerusalem. Takes a lot of self-control. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and these same qualities that are shown in Jesus are produced by the Spirit in the lives of Christians. To demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit is to reveal Jesus to those who have never read a Bible. 
as well as those who do. That's why holiness is so not like the disapproving great aunt. It's really something beautiful. Fifth, the fruit of the Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit. Stating the obvious, if you like, but it's important that we see this, that it's the work of the Holy Spirit alone. We cannot make ourselves Christians, and we cannot make ourselves Christ-like. I'm sure we've all had that feeling of, I must be nicer to people. I must not lose my temper. And I'm going to grin at people, even though I feel like killing them. Well, left to our own devices, of course, we produce that list in verses 19 to 21, the acts of the flesh. But here is the great news, that God is at work. He's transforming us. And what God is doing is not restricted by our own natural weaknesses or our bad habits. What God is doing in our lives is is not determined by our temperament. You know, my fiery family or whatever. It's not determined by my environment. So we can't say, well, you know, you don't know what it's like for me in my, at my home or in my place at work. You know, I can't possibly show the fruit of the Spirit there. Yes, we can. That's the wonderful thing. Jesus can change us by his Spirit. God is at work and he produces fruit in our lives. It's such an encouragement, I think. I, we've all, of course, you know, uh, we've lost a few battles, haven't we? We've all um, given in. We've all faced uh, defeat and failure as Christians. But this is a reminder that because Jesus is working in us by his spirit, that fruit will appear. No character is beyond repair. No failure is too great. So let's not be downcast when we fall, but rather rejoice that the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to produce Christ-like character in our lives. Do you know that old adage that says, please be patient with me, God hasn't finished with me yet? Rather like that verse in Philippians chapter 1, where he says, I'm sure that... uh, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. We may not feel like, well, we are, we're works in progress, aren't we? God is at work. Praise him for that. But there's a fine balance here, because there is a danger of just kind of lying back and saying, isn't it marvelous? God produces fruit in my life by his Holy Spirit, so I can, as it were, lie in the kind of spiritual hammock, and I'll just kind of wake up and I'll be transformed. There's nothing I need to do. Or maybe even worse, praying the prayer that Augustine prayed before he became a Christian. Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. So we're coming to our final point, and this is a sort of corrective balance to to that point of view. Yes, of course, It's the work of the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in our lives. But the fruit of the Spirit is conditional on two things. First, verse 24, crucifying the flesh. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
That is, it's our responsibility to put our sinful nature to death, consciously, deliberately, daily. This is something we do. In uh, Luke chapter 9, Jesus makes a link between self-denial and crucifixion. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Chapter 9, verse 23, for note-takers. If we want to grow in Christian character, in Christ-likeness, we need to say daily no to our sinful nature. And yes to Christ. We need to crucify our own desires daily. It's a daily battle. It's a lifelong battle. And we need to be ruthless with ourselves. I think that's what this idea of crucifying the flesh is. Be utterly ruthless. So we need to watch what we read and what we watch and how we spend our free time and who we hang out with, the choice of our career, friends, so on. This affects all our choices. Now, what I'm not saying is that uh, we should all go and live in a monastery. In a way, that's the easy way out, isn't it? Do a Simon Stylites who built a tower and then went and lived at the top of this tower and was fed food. I can't remember how he got food up to him, but he didn't engage with the world at all. That's one way of remaining uncorrupted. And in a way, it's the easy way. I think what crucifying the flesh means simply is be tough with ourselves. So know our weaknesses and be sensitive to that, but also know know what we think are our strengths because sometimes we don't pay enough attention to that either. But crucifying the flesh means be ruthless with sin. And the second condition of the Holy Spirit producing fruit in our lives is that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 25. The Holy Spirit will only control our lives if we let him, if we walk with him, as it were. I think that's what keeping in step with the Spirit means. Rather like the three-legged race. Do you remember doing, did you do those at primary school? Tie your leg next to somebody else. And it really uh, is more difficult than it looks. And it only, you only get to the finish if you keep in step with one another. If we don't, somebody falls over and it's very painful. If we want to see God produce this lovely fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we must cooperate with him, keep in step with him, read his word daily, reflectively, humbly. We must pray, open up our lives to him, and be honest with God in prayer. Lord, I'm facing this situation today. I really need your grace. I need a bit of of patience for this meeting. Or Lord, I'm I've got to challenge this colleague about something. Please give me your gentleness and kindness. Perhaps we need to meet up with one another more and be really open with one another about our weaknesses and areas where we want to work on. Do you have a prayer partner or an accountability buddy? I think most of us are in home groups, but if you're not in a home group, let me urge you to join a home group great for that sense of encouragement and accountability 
as well, of course, as coming here week by week and encouraging each other. So if we're going to grow in Christ-likeness and see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. But brothers and sisters, let's be encouraged. God is at work. He's alive. He's given us his Spirit. And the work of the Spirit is to produce fruit in our lives. Slowly but surely. Not necessarily overnight. But as surely as an apple twig will one day produce apples, so the fruit of God's Holy Spirit will be seen in our lives. Let's praise God for that. Let's pray. And there's a lovely old prayer, I think it's by uh, St. Anselm, that's going to come up on the screen. And we're switching the metaphor from gardening to carpentry. And it's asking Jesus as a carpenter to change us, to work on us. So let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus Christ, master carpenter of Nazareth, who on the cross through wood and nails worked our full salvation, wield well your tools in this your workshop, that we who come to your bench rough-hewn may by your hands be fashioned into a truer beauty and a greater usefulness in your service. For the honour of your holy name. Amen.